0: In the Bible, David is best, probably best known for facing down the giant Philistine soldier called Goliath. It was a great victory in his life. And the phrase David and Goliath has become part of our everyday language to describe a situation, an underdog situation, where a smaller, weaker opponent faces down a much larger, stronger adversary. But Goliath was not the only giant that David faced. There were many other huge issues and problems that David had to overcome in order to live for God. Giants of insignificance or of fear, of jealousy, of broken relationships, of despair, of revenge, of half-heartedness, of disappointment, resentment, of temptation, of failure. Some, like Goliath, David defeated with amazing victory. Others caused David to stumble and to fall. And yet Paul could say of David that he served God's purpose in his own generation. Now our lives and our situations are very different from David's. And yet we too face many of the same struggles, the same difficulties, the same challenges that he faced. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the giants that David faced. We're going to see how he overcame some of them and also why he was defeated by others. And as we do, I pray that we'll learn about how we can face the giants in our lives so that we can live out God's purpose in our generation. So this morning we're going to start with reading 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 13. And Lorna's going to come and read to us. So it's 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1 to 13.
1: The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, And be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah.
0: So often we can be influenced, even controlled by the labels that others give to us. But God doesn't want us to be defined by how other people see us, instead, He wants us to be defined by how He sees us. This is one of the lessons that David had to learn early on. In many people's eyes, he was a nobody. Even in his own family, he was like that. Twenty-two years before this event that we read this morning, Israel chose Saul to be their first king. But because of his disobedience, God had rejected him. He would not be allowed to lead his people for much longer. So God had decided that he would find someone to replace him. And so God told the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king. So when he arrived, he invited the whole family to a sacrifice. But the Lord rejected each of the seven sons of Jesse that came before him, that Saul saw. And so Samuel was confused. He asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse said, They're still the youngest. But he's tending the sheep. It seems that Jesse didn't think that David was important enough to bother inviting to the feast. If Samuel wanted to see his sons, well, the seven oldest would suffice. Nobody would miss David. He was probably just a teenager at the time, maybe around 15 years old. He wasn't needed. He didn't have any status. He was an insignificant member of his family. David also lived in an insignificant little village called Bethlehem. We all know this town because, as we've just celebrated at Christmas, Jesus was born there. But that was about a thousand years after this event. At this time, Bethlehem wasn't anything special. In fact, it was so unimportant that when Samuel arrived at that town, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. It seems that that they thought that the only reason that Samuel, the prophet, could have arrived at their town was to pronounce some terrible judgment on them. So, in the eyes of the world, David was insignificant. An insignificant brother, in an insignificant family, living in an insignificant town, doing an insignificant job. And I wonder if we ever feel like that. Do you ever feel unimportant or overlooked? Do you ever feel that you're not really valued in your family? Or in your workplace? Or in your community? Or maybe even in church? You ever felt like nobody would ever really miss you if you weren't around? Well, if you've ever felt like that, then you know how this can sap your energy and enthusiasm for God. It's really difficult to keep on serving God with passion if it feels like That what we do doesn't matter. And nobody notices. So in the eyes of the world, David was insignificant. But not in the eyes of God. In God's eyes, David found all the significance that he needed. The Lord said to Samuel, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. He was God's chosen man. God's choice to lead his people. And so as we face this giant of insignificance in our lives, as we battle that feeling of being unimportant, unappreciated, we need to realize that our significance does not lie in what we do, or what we have, or what we achieve. It lies in who we are in Christ. Because if we have trusted in Jesus, then we are chosen by God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. In love, God chose us to be part of His family. Before this world was formed, God looked down into time and He chose us to be His kids. And so Peter writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Not that this gives us a reason to be proud or to be arrogant. Rather, it it humbles us and it fills us with gratitude and joy because we realize that we have been chosen by grace. And so despite how we feel, despite how other people might treat us, despite what it might look like, We are not a nobody. We are not unimportant. We are God's chosen people. We are children of the King of Heaven. We are the people of God. And we need to let that truth impact our hearts and our minds and our lives. That day, Samuel anointed David. Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, it says in verse 13. From then on, it didn't matter what anybody said to David. It didn't matter how anybody treated David. David knew that he would be king. And so, as we'll see, it meant that David didn't, didn't need to fight for prominence. He didn't need to compete for status. Because he knew that God had chosen him. And he could rest on that truth. Knowing that we're chosen by God should change how we live. It's not just a truth to to sing about or to declare or to tell other people. It's a truth to live out. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Realizing that we are chosen by God should change not only how we look on ourselves, but how we treat other people. Because other people might need to fight for status. But we don't need to go looking for status in this world or, or even in the church. We don't need to fight for recognition. We don't need to compete with each other. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. We don't need to try and be somebody. In God's family, there's no hierarchy. There are no pedestals. Rather, we're called to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others if we know that we are loved and chosen by God, then we can treat other people as loved and chosen and valuable and precious. But it wasn't just Jesse that got it wrong that day. Samuel, he too fell into the trap of looking at people in a worldly way. Before David turned up, Samuel saw Eliab. That was Jesse's oldest son, his firstborn. And he assumed that this was God's choice of a king. When, when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. That was because Eliab looked apart. He was tall. He was strong. He was king-like. Maybe to Samuel he looked a little bit like Saul, who is described as being a head taller than anybody else in that nation. And so Samuel made a very superficial judgment. He looked on Eliab and said, that must be God's man. I think we often do the same. We make judgments based on appearances. When we see someone, we say, oh, well, they look nice, or they look unfriendly. They look reliable, or respectable, or or the opposite. I think it's why our society is obsessed with our outward appearances. The huge makeup and fashion and even cosmetic surgery industries prove that. We spend our time worrying about and working on our appearance. Many of us have swallowed that idea that if we just look good enough, then we'll be popular. Then we'll be valued. Then we'll be respected. Then we'll be loved. Then we'll be significant. And even in church, we can fall into that trap. We can put all of our energy into looking godly. Sounding impressive. Appearing successful. Or even just wanting to come through the door and looking like we've got it all together. That we're not falling apart. That we're not crying inside. But God stopped Samuel in his tracks. Look at what he said, verse 7. Do not consider his appearance, Eliab's appearance or his height for I've rejected him. Eliab was not God's choice for king because God is not impressed by looks. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. God is not impressed by our finances or our appearance, or our fashion sense, or our waistline. He doesn't focus on how educated we are, or what what job our kids are doing. He is not impressed by the things that we might boast about to others. God doesn't even focus on our role in church. His priority is not our successful ministry, or how many people we've introduced to Jesus. He's not impressed by how spiritual everybody else thinks we are. The Lord doesn't look at things that man looks at. He doesn't look on the surface. God looks deeper. And if that is God's priority, then it also should be ours. If that's how God looks on us, then that's how we should look at ourselves. We should stand out as being different in this world because of this. So Peter says, now he writes to women, but I think you can apply it to men as well. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the weighting of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should that be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle And quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Our focus should not be how we look in the mirror on the wall. But how we look in the mirror of God's word. And I think that can be such an encouragement for us today. Because God doesn't value us the same way that the world does we'll not be written off by God because we don't, we don't just look the part. God is always delighted in choosing to work through the most unlikely of people. That was the case with David. It's also the case with Jesus himself. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 2, prophesying about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Now I know that when people portray Jesus in movies and films and stuff, sometimes they try and make Jesus look, look quite different, quite kind of stunning. Even giving Him kind of pale blue eyes so they kind of stand out even although He was from Israel. But Jesus didn't look special. Jesus looked ordinary. He was just a poor working class guy from the despised town of Nazareth. That's how he looked on the outside. Even his family didn't think of him as anything special. His brothers kind of ridiculed him when he started to have a public ministry. And yet this ordinary looking person is the Son of God. He is the great I am. He is our Lord and Saviour. So Paul wrote, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We mustn't look at others or ourselves the way the world does. Instead, we need to see what God sees. We need to value people the way that God does. So Jesse, he wrongly valued status. Samuel, he wrongly valued outward appearance. But God looked on David differently. Verse 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that is what marked David out as different. Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, they were more prominent in their family. They were bigger. They were stronger. But David's heart belonged to God. God could say of him in Acts chapter 13 verse 22 I have found David son of Jesse a man after my own heart David was a man after God's heart now of course David made some huge mistakes we're going to see that as we go through some absolutely massive mistakes he was a sinner that's absolutely clear But he was also committed to God. He also loved God. He also sought to honor Him. God's priorities were His priorities. David's heart belonged to God. And that's what God is looking for in our lives. He's looking for people who will passionately serve Him from our heart. When we're talking about our hearts, we're not just talking about our emotions. We're talking about the center of who we are. Our character, our will, our mind. It's about everything we are. So God is looking for people who will be committed to him with everything. Right from the very core of our being. His priority is that we'll love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. So what we do with our life, that's important, of course it is. How we spend our time, our money, how we care for our families, how we serve in church, how we share our faith, that's important, of course it is. But he wants all of these actions to flow out of our hearts. He wants them to be an expression of who we really are. Out of our love and our commitment to him. Without that then what we do and what we say and what we give is empty. It's in vain. So does our heart belong to the Lord? Could people Could God say of us that he's found in us somebody who's after his heart? Whose heart beats with his heartbeat? Well, clearly we can't do this on our own. David needed God's help to be the man that God had chosen him to be. So God didn't only choose David here. He also equipped him. Verse 13. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. That means that all the things, all amazing things that David achieved in his life, they were not achieved through David's ability, or his skill, or his strength. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through him. And if we are going to serve God in our generation, if we are going to have a heart that is for God, passionately, then we also need the transforming power of the Spirit. And that's the promise of this new covenant relationship that we've come into through Christ. This is what Ezekiel prophesies in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen to this. I will give you, this is what God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws can't live for God just with our willpower or our strength or our creativity or our commitment. Instead, we need the Holy Spirit to take that divided and distracted heart and to give us a new heart that's fully committed to Him. And then we need to walk each day with the Spirit keeping in step with Him, allowing Him to direct us and to change us and to empower us in our lives. We live not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And if we do this, If we are committed to let the Holy Spirit lead us and direct us and empower us in our lives, then we can know that everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we give to God is significant. So often, our service for God goes unnoticed, it goes unseen. It seems unappreciated, unimportant. But we can be sure that God is watching. And as Jesus said, your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. God sees what we're doing and he will reward us. Sometimes that reward will come in this life. The usual way I think that God rewards us for service is by giving us more opportunities to serve. That's what happened with David. David was faithful in shepherding the sheep that were put under his care. Even fighting bears and lions in God's strength in order to protect them. What reward did David get for that? The opportunity to shepherd God's people and to fight and to protect them. So often the reward comes as an opportunity to serve more. But often we'll need to wait for that reward. For the day when Jesus will come back and he will review our lives. And say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. But however the reward comes... We can be assured that God does not value our service by outward appearances. He doesn't need to see impressive results from what we do. Instead, he values faithfulness. So when we serve the Lord in the privacy of our homes, when we care for the hurting When nobody else is around. When we give in secret to Christian ministry. When we privately pray for our family or our friends or our community. Or when we reach out quietly and consistently to the lost. Or when we just faithfully live for Jesus day after day after day. We can rest in in the certainty. Our Father in heaven sees what we are doing and is honoured by it and will reward it one day. What we do for God is never in vain, it's never empty, it's never insignificant. we can be encouraged by this and we can be motivated by this and that's what Jesus himself did the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 encourages us to let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God Today, let's face that giant of insignificance. We might feel like a nobody. We might feel like we're unappreciated by others. We might not look impressive in this world. But if we've trusted in Jesus, then we can stand in the truth that we've been chosen by God. And we can live a life that is significant in God's eyes. A life of passionate commitment to Jesus, depending on the power of the Spirit and faithfully fulfilling the purpose of God in
1: our lives for His honour and for His glory.